Okay, good morning. Welcome, especially to visitors this morning. Uh, great to have you with us. Um, we are taking a while to look at healing in the Bible. Uh, we started last week, uh, and the guy who preached last week can't come this week because he's sick. So we made a really good start. <laughs> and I'm sitting up here because if I stand up, I might just fall over. Uh, so we, we're doing really well. We need to understand God's healing better, I think. Um, but I know Rodney has something that God shared with him this morning. I think it's relevant to what we're going to do now. Um, Chris, can he borrow the microphone, please? Uh, for visitors, Rodney is uh, part of a, the fellowship here, and uh, we recognize him as somebody who, uh, in biblical terms, is, is a prophet. He, he hears very clearly from God, and uh, um, when the Lord speaks to him, we want to make sure we're kind of in the flow of what God's saying. So, Rodney, over to you. Okay, this fits in um, with what we're, the process we're in. This is the word. In this season, God is going to change us individually and corporately. And one of the ways he's going to change us is going to release us from things we've been taught practically and theologically that the people who've taught this have been sincere, but it was untrue. And we're still carrying the consequences of things we've been taught that were taught sincerely, but actual fact they weren't true and we're still carrying some of that within the culture that's inside us. And what Father is wanting to do is to bring heaven's culture into us individually and corporately. And one of the things he's going to do over this season is change and release us from things we've been taught that weren't true but still affect our lives. Now, when that happens and some... Um, Something you've been taught comes to your mind, you need to do two things. One, you need to forgive the person, the organization, or whoever was involved. And two, you need to release them. And then you can benefit from the consequences. This is God helping us change the culture that's within us to the culture of heaven in us and through us. Okay, thank you. Uh, just to explain, I had no idea about what Rodney was going to say. He just tapped me on the shoulder earlier and said, I've got something. Uh, I've learned to trust what he hears. Uh, but that's really interesting because that does, does fit in really closely. So this talks in, in two halves, really, but there'll be three parts. Does that make sense? So we're going to talk about one thing. We're going to talk about something else. And I'll try and do those as succinctly as possible. And, and then we're going to have a chance to, uh, to pray for each other. And uh, we'll finish all of that by sometime this evening. <laughs> Is that okay? Uh, good. Um, I've been a Christian a long time, um, well over 50 years. I started very young. And uh, for the first 15 years of my life, nobody in my church told me that Jesus healed today. And the reason was that Jesus wasn't healing anybody that they knew today. Um, and I was about 19 or 20 when I first experienced praying for somebody and them getting healed. Since then, 
um, I've been on a journey to try and understand what's going on, just to try and understand God and how he heals and how he brings that to people on the earth. In my time, I have seen some wonderful healings, some instantaneous healings, some I would say bordering on the miraculous, um, that they, they were fairly severe things and they were healed instantly. And I've also seen uh, lots of occasions, a lot more occasions, where I pray for people and there's been no healing and nothing's happened and I pray for people over a long period of time. And from, that, from those two experiences, those two extremes, if you like, I've tried to think about healing. And I ended up, I wasn't planning to do this when I started to prepare this talk, but I've ended up, um, I've got six statements here about healing, and I'm just going to give them to you. I'm not going to try and teach them, because it would take far too long. And it's not the church's position, okay? This is my position on it. So uh, I haven't consulted with the, the rest of the, the leadership team, and I'm not trying to pretend that we're all in agreement about all of this, because I don't know. And you will probably find yourself not in agreement with some of this, and that's fine, because that gives you an opportunity to go away and think about this. But at the start of this series, and although we're doing, uh, we're doing nothing but healing and miracles up till Easter, and then from Easter onwards, it'll be sporadic. And the reason we're doing it so often is because we need to see more of God's healing and the miraculous. We've got one of our dear family in hospital at the moment. She has been at death's door. She's, she's on the garden path moving away from it, but she's still in the garden, I think, frankly. And, uh, and there, you know, there are sick people here. I'm sitting on a stool because my hip is riddled with arthritis. I need healing. Some of you need healing. Uh, but more than anything else, we want to see Jesus glorified. Amen. We want to see an environment and an atmosphere where he's free to work not just in us, but through us. We live in a sick society. We have a wonderful health service, but we've still got a lot of sick people. And uh, Jesus has the, the power and the answers. So uh, here we go. I'm gonna, uh, I've got my watch here. I've got Bible. I've got everything I need. Six statements. One, it's the nature of God to renew, restore, and repair. It is not the nature of God to inflict or accept disease, disability, and disorder. If you've got, bear in mind what Roger said, if you've got anything within your consciousness that you think, oh, so-and-so deserves this, or God, by the way, if you want to take notes on this, it can be made available. Don't worry about trying to scribble it all down. Anything that says, oh, you know, in some way God is bringing this or has brought this, my own view is, forget it, I don't think it's at all biblical. God is the source of all true healing, all true healing. Wherever it comes from, whatever source, whatever channel, I'm here because of health professionals. Many of you are here because of health professionals. We should receive it all from him with gratitude. To desire his healing, and by his healing I mean healing that comes in a kind of direct sense through that and doesn't come through the channel of, necessarily of, of uh, medical care and so on. To desire his healing touch is to desire his presence with us. You can't have healing without the presence of, of Jesus. Um, but if you've got the presence of Jesus, you've got the opportunity for healing of all sorts, body, soul, spirit. 
When he's present with us, his healing will be evident. He's always present with us. We don't have to wait for airy-fairy, spooky-wooky moments. Okay? Sometimes sometimes we get airy-fairy, spooky-wooky moments. They're great. I love them. But let's not rely on them and let's not, let's not look for them. Don't go away from meeting disappointed if, if a, a, a cloud of, of gold dust didn't appear. Okay? Just as long as Jesus is here and people are getting healed, that's, that's good news. The New Testament standard is all who came to Jesus were healed. That's the New Testament standard. Uh, I think we should expect the same standard. I see nothing in Scripture that encourages me to believe for a different standard or to lower the standard. I don't see it in Scripture. Other people might, I don't. If we don't see that standard, and this is the problem, okay, it's all very well having that standard, but if we don't see that standard immediately, we should remember, number one, he is always loving and completely consistent. God does not change. There's no shadow of turning in him says James in the authorised version, I believe. Okay, just because something doesn't happen doesn't mean that God's changed his mind. Okay? It means that something else is going on. So he's loving, completely consistent, and he always rewards those who earnestly seek him. I think a lot of people don't get healed because we don't seek enough. Now, I'll talk a, a bit more about that, but if you've been prayed for once and you didn't get healed... Well, you got prayed for and you didn't get healed. So get prayed for again. And if you didn't get healed, get prayed for again. Now, that's not to say just keep going back irrespective of everything else. But try to think of it like this. There's kind of a level of expectation for healing that we're all in. Wherever it is, there's a level there. And if, if what we need to see comes out of a level that's up here, we need to see our level raise. That's basically what all this is about. Trying to raise our level. I'll talk a bit more about that later on. There's always a cost to our human nature when inheriting his divine nature. So advancement in healing will be contested. And courage will be required to overcome opposition. The big problem when we don't get healed or we pray for people and they don't get healed is we fear failure. We fear what might happen. Okay, now, as most of you know, Anne was ill for two years with cancer. We prayed, I prayed, most days. And most days I knew I had to come back and find courage to pray. Because cancer just seemed to me a big thing. And uh, it would be going on in here. It's not, you know, you go and get some courage and then you come in. You start to pray and then you think, I'm not sure where I am on this. And you've got to deal with those things internally. And that's what puts a lot of us off. You know, we think we're going to get healed, we go to get prayed for, or we think someone's going to get healed, we go and pray for them, and then it doesn't happen, and we get, we get knocked back, and we don't just say, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. It's not just with healing, it's with, with anything. I mean, just, that's why... The, the verbs that Jesus used, he says, keep on doing something. Ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. You don't get the whole package straight away. You get salvation. When you come to Jesus, you get saved. You're saved, okay? No mistake. 
But there's a whole load of stuff that you don't get straight away, and that's called the journey. That's why the, the kind of the ancients, if you like, of who set a lot of Christian tradition in motion, they talked a lot about pilgrimage and all that kind of thing. Because it's like that. People were used to pilgrimage in those days. We don't have pilgrimage these days. We just get in the car and we drive there. That's not a pilgrimage. That's a drive. No? You get on a plane and fly halfway around the world. That's not a pilgrimage. That's four movies. You know? It's... <laughs> Three if they're long ones. Um, and if the food's good. And, uh, but it is a pilgrimage. You've got to keep going. Receiving healing is a journey. There may only be one step. It may be, bang, just like that. Or there may be many. But in the journey, the Father desires us to grow more like him. If God doesn't answer straight away, then God's doing something. God is answering. He's just not answering in the way that we anticipate. He's doing something. There are lots of things I have not seen straight away. There are more things I haven't seen straight away than things I have seen straight away really frustrating sometimes really frustrating but every time it doesn't happen leaves me with a choice so what are you going to do graham going to keep going or you're going to give up fairly simple choice god's heart is filled with compassion for those in need we cannot overestimate the degree of compassion in the father's heart that's why we have it if you feel compassion it's because Your heart's resonating with his. When our hearts resonate with his, we see his kingdom come and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. We see it in greater measure. Faith and compassion grow in us as we draw on the life of his word, which for most of us comes in this form or on a phone or an app or something, and the testimonies of his activity. This is a testimony. That's why it's called testament, the Old Testament, the New Testament. When you tell your story, it's a testament. It's, it's a, it comes from a kind of legal idea that you'd be in court and you'd, you'd be a witness and you'd say, well, I saw this. And there is something within that that God takes and uses and it can build faith within us. That's why te- uh, testimonies are important. And we'll, hopefully we'll be doing something about that a bit later in the, the year and trying to focus on that. But if you've got a story, tell it. Even if your story isn't complete. Okay, I've got a story about healing that hasn't happened yet. Because I'm in the process. I've got stories about some healings. I've experienced some healings in the past. And I've seen a lot of healings. I've got stories about those. But I've also got stories about things that haven't happened yet. Don't be afraid of what hasn't happened yet. Don't be intimidated by it. Don't be undermined by it. If you're walking up a mountain, you don't get intimidated by it. You just say, I'm going to get to the top. I'm going to get to the top. Even if you're not there, people say, where are you going? I'm going there. What are you doing? I'm climbing a mountain. You're not hoping to climb a mountain. You are climbing the thing. What are you doing? I'm receiving healing. But in the end, there'll always be mysteries. Always. Things don't work sometimes. Bad stuff happens and doesn't get put right. Why? I don't know. That's my theology of stuff like that. Bad stuff happens. I've heard theologians, well, some, I don't don't hear many because it's not really my thing, but 
Um, I've heard some theologians give very clever and erudite answers, but basically they're saying, I don't know. So you can say, I don't know, like that, or you can, say, you can write a whole book to say, I don't know, because that will satisfy some people, but in the end, you don't know. But how we do know is by drawing closer into his presence to fathom them. Almost every time, I think, speaking out of um, Anne's death, almost every time I needed an answer, I found it in worship. Either on my own or, or here in the, in the family. Because it's, it's in that environment we are more open to, uh, to hear the voice of God. Right, that's part one over. Not going to go into a lot of discussion about that. Other people might choose to unpack it or disagree with it. That's fine. And that can be sent around if, uh, or it can be made available on the website uh, and you can get it from there during the next few days. Okay. Right, we're going to look at Mark chapter 1. Um, I'm going to go very quickly through the lead up to the bit that I want to get to, which is the leper who's healed at the end. Um, but you really need to understand the first part of the chapter because the way Mark wrote it, or whoever, uh, but probably a guy called Mark, um, he wrote it in a particular way. Firstly, Jesus appears and his prophetic background is established. And that's the, the Isaiah quote. Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. He's a voice shouting in the wilderness. And then guess what? We get a voice shouting in the wilderness. John the Baptist. Do you know when John the Baptist started preaching there was no one there? He really was in the wilderness. He was in the middle of nowhere. I mean, he obviously hadn't been to Bible school. He didn't have a website. And, uh, and he, he, he hadn't been on a coaching course because he did everything wrong. He started preaching in the middle of the desert when there was no one there. And guess what? People turned up. I mean, I, I preached in places like that sometimes. You know, there's just nobody there. Nobody turned up. But that's not the point. He just did what, what the prophet Isaiah had said, perhaps 700 years earlier. But it says, he will baptize you into the spirit of holiness. He's saying, look, here, what I'm doing with water, imagine the spirit of holiness or uh, different translations uh, use different things. Um, but he's going to do that to you. The next section, his authority, that's Jesus, Jesus' authority as the son of the father is declared through his baptism. He gets baptized and everybody says, why did Jesus get baptized? He got baptized because that was the thing to do. His father said, get baptized. So he went and got baptized to identify with us, but also to show he was coming into a new phase, a new phase for him. A dove descends, there's a, a voice speaks from heaven, and then he goes off into the wilderness. All of that establishes his sonship. Okay, Mark doesn't go into it in detail, but Luke goes into it in more detail, the temptations. Read through the temptations and they all start, if you are the son of God. Okay? His father just said he's the son of God. And the enemy comes along and says, if you are the son of God. Anybody ever had that happen to them? Yeah. Something accuse them say, if you are a child of God, if you are the daughter of God, if you are the son of God, what's your answer? Yup. Okay? Do what Jesus did. Go back to the scriptures. Say, yup, that's me, son of God. But you're in a mess. I don't care. I'm a son of God. But you need healing. I don't care. I'm a child of God. But your family's a mess. I don't care. I'm a daughter of God. 
Okay? Our circumstances don't dictate our identity, do they? No. Thank you. Okay. Uh, so that's Mark 1, 9 to 13. Testing will come. Testing will come. Continually. Good news, folks. It's always going to happen. If you thought you'd missed it, sorry, you've not. Uh, and if you thought it was over, sorry, it ain't. Because what is worth having is tested. Precious metal is tested. Jesus begins to prepare others as sons and daughters. So it starts off, we've got, uh, we've got a son who's coming. The son arrives, his own sonship is tested, and then he starts to get some others ready so that they can understand that they're children of God. And that's Mark, 14, uh, Mark 1, 14 to 20. That's the first disciples. That's what's going on. There's a process that, that the writer's taking us through here. He then speaks of and demonstrates the arrival of God's kingdom in the authority of his father. So what's happened? Here's a son. The son is here. And he's a son. He's a royal son with the authority of the royal father. And so the kingdom has arrived. Okay? It's not full. It's not complete. But it's full and complete wherever Jesus is because he's the king. So he's, uh, he's telling other people about it. And what they say is this, or at least what Mark records for us. So this must be important because he wants us to know this. Amazement gripped the audience and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? He, they asked excitedly. It has such authority. The teachers they were used to listening to always referred to somebody else's authority, usually somebody dead. You couldn't speak on your own authority. You had to speak out of the works of this great rabbi or that great rabbi. Jesus didn't do that. He just said, this is what I say. I'm telling you this. This is what it's like. And then just to prove that he had authority, something that opposed his authority, a demonic spirit, started to kick up a fuss, and Jesus basically said, shut up, go away, keep quiet. And it did. And so the people not only heard authority, they saw it in action. Uh, we used to have dogs at home, and uh, we had a measure of authority over the dogs. They occasionally did what they were told. Uh, some of you have, have dogs, and uh, you will probably have a measure of authority over that. Some of you will have cats. You will have no authority over them whatsoever. <laughs> okay? Cats are outside of that particular realm doesn't work in the same way for cats. This society was overrun by things that weren't under authority until Jesus turned up and just said, authority's here. We then move on to Peter's mum-in-law. So they'd been in the synagogue. From the way I read this, it sounds as though they went home for lunch. It doesn't say it was the middle of the day, but from the way I read it, uh, it is. they went home for lunch and she was sick. So they went straight away and they told Jesus about her. I have heard people say Jesus healed her so he, she could get up and serve him. I don't think that's true. Um, I think Jesus healed her because she needed healing. And he went and, and in other Gospels it says the fever left her immediately and she got up. She was so pleased. She just thought, oh, now I can do what I really want to do, which is to prepare some, some lunch for these guests because that was hospitality in those days. Uh, it still is in many of our homes. But of course, as soon as something spectacular is happening, the village hear about it. 
About 1,500 people, I looked it up. Uh, Google says so, so it's got to be true. That's a lot of people. Those, those homes weren't big. And uh, I don't know whether it was a, a mess. I suspect it was a bit more orderly than that. Otherwise, all the sick people would have got pushed to the back and all the healthy people would have gone forward. No. Um, or they'd have had no roof left, which is another story. They bring the physically sick and spiritually oppressed to find healing and freedom. Mark doesn't say they all got healed. Other Gospels do. I'm going to work on the basis that they, they all got healed. And then he says, okay, I'm not going to stay here. Nice though it would be for all of you. I've got to go to other places. That's my mission. Okay, introduction over. Let's get on to the talk. Right, the last bit of Mark. We've got this, this leper. Leprosy in those days, I can't imagine what leprosy was like in those days. The only thing I can liken it to, in my experience, is that the fear there was surrounding uh, people who were HIV positive in the early days of us understanding that or being aware of that. It was back in the 90s. Those of you who remember that time, you remember the great big black letters, A-I-D-S. And uh, now I was heading a school at the time, and uh, we had a a child whose one of their parents was HIV positive, and we had all kinds of discussions, uh, most of which turned out to be completely wrong because we didn't know what we were talking about because nobody else did, about whether they should use the same toilets and all that kind of thing. And that was the, the kind of atmosphere. And it wasn't that we were going to push people away because we weren't quite like that, but that was, that was happening in society. We don't have that, thank the Lord, we don't have that now. The situation's a lot better in, in many respects. But lepers were shunned. They were shunned because people were scared witless that they'd catch leprosy. And, yeah, yeah, well, you know, because you've, you've seen it firsthand. I, I haven't. But. And so, and there was a huge amount of shame because you couldn't go into the temple. You couldn't be accepted into God's presence. And as far as they were concerned, God's presence was in the temple. So you were shunned out of society. And this guy approaches Jesus. What level of courage does that take? And yet, he was uncertain. He knows Jesus can heal him, but he doesn't know if he will heal him. How often does that happen to us? We know Jesus can heal us or them, but we don't know if he's willing to do so. I don't know why we've got such a fuss about this within Christianity. It's really clear to me out of Scripture. Yes, Jesus is. It says he was moved with compassion. Now, when you start to dig into it a little bit, uh, some translations say compassion, some translations say anger, and it goes back to the, the word being written very similarly. Um, and compassion and anger, almost two sides of the, the same thing. He was compassionate toward the man, but angry at the disease. That must have happened to you, that you've got angry at something. You get angry that something is afflicting somebody for what's happening to them. And Jesus steps into it and commands the healing. He just deals with the thing he's angry with, because he's got that authority. He's moving in that level of authority. It's the same level of authority he wants his church to move in. It's the same level of authority he wants us to move in. We're not there. Okay, let's not pretend we are. But my 
my point is, let's know where the goal is. People say, well, there's, there's, there's a limit. And I say, well, okay, there might be, but I'm not there yet. I'd rather get to the limit and find out there's a limit. Uh, I'd rather get to the limit and find out there's a limit, or uh, rather do that than, than give up and not try. But I don't think there's a, uh, there's a limit. There'll be, there'll be some things that won't happen. There's some things we won't see in our lifetime. There's some things I, th- I think we probably won't see before Jesus comes back, but I don't know what they are. So uh, until I have a sense that I do know, then it won't stop me praying for people. Uh, so Jesus goes off and says, shh, don't tell anyone. Just go and, and uh, give the, the offering that's needed. Um, we're not told whether he goes and gives the offering, but he does go and tell people. They hear his testimony. And guess what? Uh, lots of people come to Jesus for healing. We need to see more healing. Uh, one of the things I did in preparing for uh, putting this series together is I read through every healing in the New Testament. I haven't done the Old Testament yet. There's quite a number there, but I read through every one. It was great. It did me the power of good. But it's, uh, it also helped me to, to realize that uh, despite what I've seen and despite what I've read and despite the things that I think I've learned, I carry a lot of unbelief. And I think that's one of the things we should deal with first. We are going to pray for, for people. Uh, but I want to, I've got two things I want to do first. And one of them is, is ask you to deal with unbelief. And Rodney's prophetic word... I think is really, really interesting. So um, we're not going to make a, a big deal out of this. Um, you, you all need to do it. Let me tell you this. You all need to do it. Because we all have a measure of, of unbelief. So it's not a criticism. It's just a fact. I know I, I was sit, sitting there in the worship thinking, yeah, I, th- I really think you want me to focus on this unbelief, Lord. And, and he's, I felt him say to me, yeah, go on then. You focus on it right now. So, so I did. I don't know what you were doing, but I was saying, oh, Lord, forgive me. <laughs> Help me. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. So, some of you will have seen healing, but not seen it for a while. Some of you will have been prayed for for healing and been healed, and some of you not been healed. Some of you will have picked up some wrong ideas from places. Some of the things I've said this morning may be challenging to those ideas. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying, if you sense the Holy Spirit saying to you, you need to change your thinking here, then this is a great opportunity to do it. One of the, the beautiful, one of the beautiful things about God is he doesn't expect us to make a song and dance over repentance. Um, you don't have to pay me any money anymore to repent, which is a shame, actually, because you know, it would be, be quite handy. But um, feel free. You know, if you feel the need, that's okay. But you don't. You see, you just have to change your mind. You just have to turn around and take your heart in a different direction. And, and we, live, we live in an atmosphere of unbelief. There is, it's, like, it's like a wet blanket. And, and just whatever is going on in here, it's over here. And we hear this phrase, uh, open heaven. I know what people mean. It's not always the most helpful phrase. Um, But there is often a blanket of unbelief. And when there's a blanket of unbelief over us as the believers, um, then uh, guess what? We're the ones who can deal with it. And we can just say, Lord, I'm just seeking you for for more faith here. So what I'm going to suggest we do is we're just going to be quiet for a moment. I'm not going to lead you in this prayer. I'm just going to let you talk to the Holy Spirit 
and respond to him in whatever way you feel appropriate, and then we'll get into the two other things. Okay, if you need a bit longer for that, perhaps take some time later in the, the day for that. Here's the second thing we're going to do. Um, if, there's a, if you're sitting there saying, yeah, I want to see people healed, um, or I want to see more people healed, or I've never seen anybody healed, I'd like to see somebody healed, uh, I'd like to pray for you um, so that we have a, a group of people, and it, maybe everybody stands up because we can, we're all free to do it. Um, I would stand up because I've seen people healed, but I want to see more people healed. I want to see it much more frequently. I think it'd be good if we stood up and just said, Lord, that's me. I want to see more people healed. Now, Father, we, uh, we present ourselves because we, we love you and we want to see you glorified and we want to see more people well. H- however that happens, we want to see it happen. We want to see more people in the family and more people outside the family. We want to see our, uh, our neighbours touched by you, our work colleagues. We want to see people in hospitals and doctors' surgeries touched by you. We want to see people in the street touched by you, people we meet uh, when we go about our, our day-to-day business. And for that, um, apart from anything else, we need some courage uh, and we need uh, to grow in faith and expectation and to draw from the atmosphere of heaven into our atmosphere so that we can take it into other people's atmosphere. Uh, So, Father, we we ask you to help us with that. Help us take the steps that we need to take. Help us think and believe and act in the way that will give you the opportunity to show yourself. Amen.